0: So let's talk about sex. Who is excited to be part of this community when we're having such big conversations like this? Are we? Are we excited about it? Because I certainly am. And I'm excited for the ministries that we're involved in. I'm excited um, for the young people and the amazing kids that we have in our family. I'm excited for the opportunity given to each one of us to have a look, to check our compass, to check ourselves And I'm excited about the conversations that it starts. And for probably more slightly selfish reason for my three beautiful daughters. If it's your first morning at Catalyst, first of all, welcome. Kelly commenced our series on let's talk about sex two weeks ago now. And she looked at the awesome design of sex and the purpose for sex. And Matt continued uh, with us last week and we looked at how sex has been distorted. There was just so many excellent points in there and seriously I would be Giving two messages this morning if I had to go and revisit them. But if you haven't heard either one of them or both of them, I really strongly suggest that you go to the website and you listen to them. Um, because I think it's really important because what I'm going to share this morning is in the context of both Kel and Matt's messages. So I strongly encourage you to do that this week if you have missed one or two of them. This is a place of safety, um, it's a place of family, and it's our desire that it stays that way. And I guess. Many people, statistics would tell us um, haven't experienced um, sex the way God has designed it and probably far from it. And like any other morning, we want everyone to feel safe. So do what you need to do to make you feel safe this morning. If you need to grab a coffee through the door there, if you need to grab some fresh air, if you want to chat, if you want to pray with someone, please feel free to do that. This morning's message is entitled, What to Fight. And while I'm sharing this morning is what I believe God has called me to share. Um, I'd be very foolish to think that it's an exhaustive list or um, what I'm going to share this morning in a very small amount of time is everything God would want to say about this message. So what I do want to say is that I, I trust that the Holy Spirit is at work in this place. I trust that he's at work in our hearts and I trust that the parts that you need to hear that I mightn't share this morning, that the Spirit will be doing that in each one of you individually. As Christians, as um, Kel shared, and I'm very thankful for, that God's designed us all to enjoy sex. And I think there's two areas when we think about what we should be fighting for. I think there's two main areas that I want to discuss this morning. The first one is fighting sexual immorality for great sex. Sex, obviously, God's idea. And he designed it to be amazing and to be fun. And as Christians, he wants us to celebrate and enjoy it. But at the same time, he asks that we stay away from sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians says, it's up there on the board for you to follow, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honour and not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Why does he ask us to enjoy sex and um, as he's designed but then stay away from sexual immorality? He asks us this because he knows us and he loves us, and he knows that sexual immorality takes away from enjoying the very great sex that he has designed. A little bit about my story. At the age of 10, I was accidentally, quite accidentally, had a very loving, supportive Christian family, but I was accidentally exposed to pornography. And I think through that exposure really changed my view and what I, I guess, gravitated towards And so this um, engaging in pornography continued well into my adult years. And when I think back and reflect on this message, I realised how much it shaped about who I was. It definitely shaped what I thought about sex. It became the loudest voice in how I defined who I was as a female and what my role was. It completely removed intimacy from sex and it normalised behaviours from others that I experienced that, I don't think I would have tolerated had I not had that exposure. My journey with God to undo these learnings and realign my compass, and um, can I just point that there, Matt shared amazingly well last week when he talked about us realigning our compasses back to God. And I think if you hear me use the word compass a lot in this message, it's because I really feel that that was really powerful And that's what I'm referring to when I'm talking about realigning or our compass. Yeah, so as that journey for me had been realigning my compass, I think back to God's design, it's been extremely difficult and extremely long. Kelly shared in the first week that rules alone, do not have sex, do not do this, do not do that, won't be the thing that keeps us away, I think, from sexual morality Because I think as humans... We want to break the rules. We want to push the boundaries. We want to find out for ourselves. But I think that understanding God's design, purpose and heart for you as an individual can. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I think quite often, and especially as a young person, I can definitely identify this is how I felt, that God was a bit of a killjoy. God's designs and purposes for us come change with rules and regulations and I think for me that that's what I saw, that was my focus, that, oh, so boring, I'm not allowed to do this, I'm not allowed to do that and that was my focus. However, I think that God's heart, as when we look at John 10:10, 10, 10, God's heart for us is that we would have life and have it abundantly and we'd have it abundantly in every area. That's why he asks us to turn away from certain things and focus on him, his designs and his purposes for us. If I had chosen to turn away from sexual immorality, thankfully my relationship with God would be no different today because he's a God of grace, mercy and restoration. However, many of the relationships that I've had with others would have been very different. I wouldn't have had to fight the battles I have over the years the wasted time and the emotional energy on the very things that God's plans and purposes desired to protect me from in the first place. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. As a young Christian, like I said before, I was focused on the rules, wondering how far I could push the boundaries, what little rule that I could break that wouldn't really matter. Now I see my efforts to turn my obedience to him into a checklist to be passed or to scrape through was my actual inability to trust God's love and purpose for my life and to trust in his purposes and plans and designs. Proverbs 3, 5, 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding, but seek his will in all you do and he will show which path to take. I believe to enjoy amazing sex now or in the future, we need to fight against sexual immorality in the present And this is why God has asked us to flee from it. To fight against sexual immorality, we need to remember a number of key tools. The first one is conversation. Now, if you've been part of the messages for the last couple of weeks, you would have seen this used as a tool. It was given as examples. And I think this is a really powerful point to break down some of um, the devil's lies about this topic. Matt shared last week that having a conversation about his own struggles was his catalyst to his healing Can I say, parents, if we're not having conversations with our children about sex, I can guarantee that someone else is. And it's not likely to be about God's designs and purposes, to which become the measuring stick that they measure everything else they see and hear against. Couples. If you are not talking about sex in your relationship, social media, film or culture will be. Singles. The right conversations will become louder than the cultural voice that says sex isn't worth waiting for. Conversations can break down barriers, bring light to the darkness and allow truth to be spoken and intimacy to be deepened in relationship. The second point is humility. Philippians 2, 3 to 8 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves, do not look at your own interest, but each of you the interests of the others in your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Jesus Christ did, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death, on a cross. We all live in a culture which promotes the best kind of sex to be all about you and all about your needs, with little regard to the impact on others now or in the future. However, God desires us to consider others before considering ourselves in every aspect of our lives, and this includes sex and our sexual desires. Vulnerability. Genesis 9, 39, 7 to 12. I just want to read you. It's a little bit lengthy, but I haven't put it up there, so you'll just have to bear with me. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, He told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except for you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as he could. One day, however, with no one else around, when he went to do his work, she came in and grabbed him by the cloak, demanding, Come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand and ran from the house. So we know that um, Joseph was a godly man, and despite Potiphar's demands on a daily basis, might I add, he made it quite clear to her that he was choosing to honour God above all else and respect his master. But I think what's really powerful about this story when we read it is we see that Joseph knew his own convictions but he also knew where he was vulnerable. Scripture tells us that he made deliberate choices to avoid contact with her. So he wasn't foolish. He didn't, you know, still hang out with her but it says that he made clear choices not to be around her. However, on this particular day, cornered by her, aware that this situation is one that he's likely to become unstuck in, he turns and runs. And he runs without his clothes on. We're looking at vulnerability. He's, he's out of there. He's running, wherever he's running, as vulnerable is about, you know, as, as all that he could, you know, in the naked. And I think often as a culture we see vulnerability as a weakness. And I believe the opposite to be true. Vulnerability allows us to be teachable. And through that it allows us to teach others. It allows us to acknowledge that we haven't got it all together and in some areas of our lives that we can't be trusted to make the best decisions all the time. I think if we read that story again and Joseph had an attitude of being like, I'm right, I can handle this, I've got it all together, I'm a big strong man, I think think the story would be much different. I think the ending would be completely different. If we think of everything that Joseph went on to do after this event, the impact of him not acknowledging his vulnerability would have been great all of us have areas of vulnerability and acknowledging these areas allow us to be prepared in times of challenge and not to be too proud to run away when we need to the next point is self control and the dictionary defines self control as the ability to control oneself in particular one's emotions And desires, especially in difficult situations. Man, if I had this down pat in all areas of my life, how good would it be? Let me tell you, you're looking at an only adopted child whose mum and dad waited 10 years for her. So I can say quite surely that I haven't had, during my childhood, many opportunities to practice self control. And I know right now you're probably feeling very, very sorry for my wonderful husband, Pete but I'll have you know that I'm working on this and I've reduced my tantrums down to at least a couple a week, which is pretty good. (laughs) In all seriousness, can you imagine the change in our lives and our relationships if this fruit of the Spirit became a high priority on our list? The ability to control oneself, in particular one's emotions, desires, especially in difficult situations. It's no surprise that Jesus is a fabulous teacher and example when it comes to self-control. His journey to the cross, and well, the list could go on. But for right now, let's just look at Matthew 4, 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the son of man, jump off. For scripture says he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him onto the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and the angels came to take care of Jesus. I think before I go and pull that apart any further, I think we need to acknowledge that first and foremost here that Jesus had an amazingly close relationship with the Father, a daily relationship. He was prayerful. Um, he was relational. And he knew scriptures really, really well. So Jesus in fully human form had not eaten for 40 days. Well, in my thought, that's way past hungry. So if I haven't eaten... I'm mad and I'm very hungry. Well, Jesus was way past that. He's pretty starving, he's weak and he's vulnerable and he's visited by the devil. We see the devil putting before Jesus all these challenges. Indulge on what your body wants. Take a chance, no harm will come. Think how important you would feel. For every challenge, Jesus goes back to what he knows of God and to his word to squash the temptation with truth. Self-control, I believe, is a journey of handing over challenges and lies to God. And the most important key to gaining self-control in areas of our lives is through a relationship with God. Developing our self-control also helps us to understand the concept of delayed gratification, resisting something in the present but being able to enjoy it more fully in the future. Jesus would have been unbelievably hungry in the wilderness Imagine if he'd given in to the immediate gratification of turning those stones into some amazing bread rather than waiting for all God had prepared for him. It is in relationship with him that we understand and see his heart, his plans and his design for us. It is where we can experience life to the full. Well, that was a lot to take in. And I don't know about anyone else But the idea of being completely free from sexual immorality seems almost impossible, and I know that to be true. And I actually believe that it is, apart from one man who walked on this earth. This week, as I've put my own message together, I've been completely aware of how far I've fallen short. And as you're sitting here this morning, you may probably be feeling the same thing. Man, haven't got all those areas under control There's definitely some areas that I need to work on. There's nothing that I've shared this morning about God calling us away from sexual immorality that isn't true. I 100% believe that this is what God wants us to hear. God calls us to flee from all sexual immorality. However, if I was to end here, I think that I've done such an injustice to the picture of God that I'm painting for you. So there's a second half of the message. Fighting for the message of restoration. We have such an amazing God who is all about restoration and healing. However, this is not often the message heard from the wider church when we talk about sexual immorality. I believe shame placed on us by others or ourselves can be one of the most biggest barriers to individuals being restored And in regards to this topic, understanding and celebrating sex as God intended. The dictionary describes shame as being a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behaviour. I want to be clear, I don't think shame is wrong and I don't think it's a bad thing. In fact, I think it can actually be really useful to help us know when we need to check ourselves. And I think that it helps us to call us back to God's design and purposes. However, when my shameful feelings or voices and actions from others tell me that I'm bad or dirty or, or corrupt or I'm too corrupt for God to want anything to do with me, a barrier is being created, a barrier that Jesus came 2,000 years ago to tear down. As Christians, God's desire for humanity's restoration and healing through his grace and love should be our loudest message on this subject. In Genesis 3, 8 to 9, we see that after Adam and Eve had deviated from what God had asked of them not to eat the fruit of the tree, they chose to hide in the trees when they heard him approaching. So before that, they were walking around in the nude, in relationship, really close relationship with God. Afterwards, they know that they've done the wrong thing, probably feeling a sense of shame. They hear him coming and they flee straight into the trees. The trees form a barrier for Adam and Eve and which I am sure they were hoping obstructed them from God's view. However, despite their efforts being completely fruitless, it did, however, obstruct their view of God. I think that when we're talking about shame, It's often quite a personal thing and I think it's something that we carry and don't often acknowledge either that is there but can be quite underlying. And I really want to make clear that this morning when we're talking about shame, it's about the shame that says you're not good enough. You're not good enough for a relationship with Jesus. You're not good enough to be in relationship with others. I think quite often our shame has us heading for the trees. If we're running for the trees... I think the environment in the trees has less light, is isolating. It's a difficult territory to remain on guard from the enemy in. And the longer that we are in the trees, the more the trees grow and obstruct our view of God. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. I want us to just picture that. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. That is worth getting excited about. It's worth celebrating. <laughs> Ephesians two, thirteen. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been made near by the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to read you um, Charles Virgin. I just might get you to not put that one up just yet. And I'll um, just love you to close your eyes. I think sometimes it's really powerful, just close your eyes and hear the words. So Charles Spurgeon, he's a well-known Baptist preacher, pretty awesome guy. And he said this, I know what the devil will say to you. He will say to you, you are a sinner. You tell him you know you are, but for all that you are justified. He will tell you of the greatness of your sin Tell him of the greatness of Christ's righteousness. He will tell you of all your mishaps, your backslidings, your offences, and your wanderings. Tell him and tell your own conscience that you know all that, but Jesus Christ came to save sinners, and that although your sin be great, Christ is quite able to put it away. I don't think God ever designed us to be hiding in the trees. And I want to encourage you this morning as we just enter a time of prayer and reflection, if if that's you, if you're hiding in the trees, if there's something that, and it might not be around this topic, but if there's something that um, is holding you back from fully coming out and embracing all that Uh, Christ is this morning then I want us to just pray through that so we're just going to create a space um, up the front and I really feel that um, God wants to break through some areas this morning I really feel that he wants to and individually I, I think the sense that I'm really getting is um that it's that it's this sitting with ourselves um and examining ourselves and this idea of coming out of actually coming out. in there's, there's vulnerability in coming out from those trees. There's vulnerability in saying that actually there's a part of me that I haven't allowed to hear God's grace and God's mercy. And so um, I'm just going to hand over to the band. I'm just going to trust that the Holy Spirit is working here this morning and that I really encourage you to be vulnerable in that space and to just really have your heart open to what he's talking to about this morning. Thanks.